Canucks Central Wednesday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. This is not a scheduled tweet. Oh, the show is not down. We did not schedule this content. Uh, show is on 3 o'clock today. Yes, because, uh, well, we've got the official pregame show for the Canucks and New York Rangers coming up just after 4 o'clock. And then we've got puck drop at 5 tonight, Sat. So this is the advantage. that People always you know talk about radio is dying. Mm-hmm. Well... We have the advantage of being on radio when all else fails, and we're always available via stream. We're available via podcast. So you can find us in any which way you want, which a lot of other mediums can't offer you when all else fails. So Uh, when The Last of Us comes true and and fungi take over. (laughs) You know, I've actually been reading about that, and this is Mm -hmm. like a real thing that could happen as global warming continues. I mean, I'm not going to profess to know anything about this okay. more than I've watched on the show and some of the things I've read since then. <laughs> Very cursory. Yes, I'm not going to pretend to be all of a sudden fungi sat. <laughs> That's not happening. Well, you are science sat sometimes. Space. I thought so- oh, okay. Science, Space sat. Space, yeah. yeah. But I mean, yes, it's conceivable. Okay. I mean, but at the same time, so, so it, like <laughs> rabies exists, right? Yes. So, I mean, there's also a world where that mutates and, and people become zombies, mm-hmm. so to speak. So... I mean, uh, that would not be great. No. I uh, mean, the possibilities may exist. <laughs> I just don't think they're very likely. Man, it, it was a it, it is a sunny day in Vancouver today. And yet somehow we what? started uh, I, the I, show with like how we could potentially turn into The Last of Us. I, I think it depends on where in Vancouver you were, because where I was at, I did not see a lot of sunshine. today. Oh, OK. Yeah, that would make sense. I, I did see some sunshine when I woke up this morning yeah. and like peer through my my, <laughs> uh, my blinds. And then as soon as I actually got out of bed, it was gone. Oh, OK. That's so, uh, depressing. Pretty sad. Um, but yes, uh, I don't know. Twitter was going through this weird thing where it's like, oh, you tweeted too much today, uh, so you're not allowed <laughs> to send this tweet. And all I could keep it's thinking- It's like your conscience yeah. all of a sudden. So like, does this mean I, I can't like, actually tweet during Canucks games I'm actually I feel almost liberated by this I'm, I'm totally going to use this as, a, as an excuse to tweet less and just focus on watching the game that that should be the best part you then maybe what? I won't have to watch the game three times to like really get a good sense of how they played not having the peer pre- pressure to tweet is, <laughs> is nice the world with less Twitter is actually a better spot at times yeah, yeah. so embrace that yeah it's See, as miss. the play-by-play guy of the Giants you don't have to tweet during the game you're actually, just like I do. oh man yeah, you're, I mean, you're the tw- you're the uh, social media guy and right. the play-by-play guy. I'm the, the media. I'm guy. the live tweeter during the games, anyways. Yeah, man yeah. of many. Now talents. that is multitasking. Producer Eddie Gregory. I, I mean, Eddie Gregory. I mean, that's when. I mean, uh, Eddie was coined fast Eddie Gregory very yes. early on by Brooke Ward. So yes. there's a reason for it. <laughs> also, the play-by-play for the Vancouver Giants, who were rocking the incredible. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They were lean, mean, green, and victorious on Sunday. Oh, man. Love it. Yo, it's the green machine. I'm going to rock the town without be. Okay, I'm not going to do the full vanilla ice. Is it weird that I know the lyrics? No, it's not that weird. Okay, good. It's weird that you didn't lean into it and do it in Italian. (laughs) Don't give him any ideas. Yeah. (laughs) Show's still young. Free game hasn't started yet. Still a lot of show to go. Uh, A lot of failure ahead. Uh, we, we we talked a lot yesterday about what other potential moves could be mm-hmm. coming for the Vancouver Canucks, and um, could they even consider 
moving JT Miller should the right offer mm. come around. And I know uh, Canucks Talk was talking about that earlier today, uh, the show that coined me Mr. Positivity and uh, even praised some of the thoughts that we had uh, during that little discussion from you were yesterday's actually, show. You were complimented. I was complimented. It, it is nice to also get complimented. <laughs> Uh, even though I am Mr. Positivity around here, and it's not been very positive around the Vancouver Canucks. So there is a lot going on, though, right? Yeah. And uh, Elliot Friedman uh, had his 32 Thoughts blog come out today or, or late last night and had some more Canucks tidbits coming through. There is still a wonder, a question about Luke Shen mm. and how... Yeah. His future ends up. We know the situation. Um, his wife is pregnant. And so if there is going to be some kind of a trade sooner rather than later would be preferable for the Shen family. And there's also this feeling that Luke or that Rick Tockett really likes Luke Shen and is looking for more leaders in the room, needs guys to set that standard. Yeah. And would he want Luke Shen to stick around given that case? But he's a 33-year-old unrestricted mm -hmm. free agent. Sad. I, I keep wondering about this, and part of me is like, well, we're 23 days out from the trade deadline. Yes. Uh, it, it is, like we like to say during NFL draft season, it's smokescreen <laughs> season right now. And I, I'm starting to wonder how much of this is just smokescreen season mm. so that the Canucks can procure the best possible return in a Luke Shen trade. Yeah, yeah. Your, your BS uh, meter is kind of going off here <laughs> I mean, a little bit. I'm kind of yeah. wondering, you know, yeah. the, uh, <laughs> the, Fugazi, the Fugazi meter is a right. little bit, uh, it's a little bit high right now. Okay, we'll get to the skepticism on that, and we'll get to the benefits of trading Luke Shen and why they should trade yep. Luke Shen. But in terms of what he does provide, as far as just the on-ice portion of things, it makes sense if Rick Tockett's like, I'd love to have this guy around. Like, mm -hmm. totally makes sense, especially when he talked about the things uh, we discussed at length last last night about having wall guys and inside, inside guys, guys yep. and... He's one of those guys that fits it defensively in many ways. Luke Shen is definitely an inside guy. Yeah, and he very much is. <laughs> and he's also very much a Rick Tockett tough guy. He'd love to have a good teammate, good dude, has leadership, is physical, will stand up for his teammates, will do everything you can possibly ask, right? Every day he's going to show up and work hard. He'll be ready in training camp. He'll be a guy that guys can lean on in the locker room. He can be an extension of uh, the coach. Next year, if things get a little difficult – as far as leadership goes for Pedersen and Hughes, as they take bigger roles, who better to have around that they trust and appreciate and respect, that they can lean on, that the coach can use as a proxy to get his message through, than a guy like Lucian? Yeah. So, so, I mean, there are actual ta intangible benefits in in addition to the tangible things we talked about, in having Luke Shen here next year and even beyond at a very team-friendly team deal. Like, there truly are those benefits. It's just... He's 33 and a pending unrestricted free agent. <laughs> yes. And also... <laughs> and this team is not anywhere close to actually winning, you know, uh, meaningful games. And you're bereft of assets and have yeah. been. Yep. So if you're looking to add more, and you really are, and you know how hard it is for you to move salary, and even moving salary doesn't necessitate necessarily you getting assets. It, you know, maybe you can dump a guy, but you're not getting anything. And you still need more, whether it's draft picks or players... And Luke Shen's a guy that's going to bring you back something like yep. that. 
At the very least, we're talking about, what, a third-round pick? At the very least, yeah, I would say. And considering how hard it's been for this team to acquire third-round picks outside of, you know, uh, landing Travis Hamanick, mm-hmm. getting a third for him last year. Which was a big surprise. Yes. I mean, even that's good—to me, it's, it's, it's hard for you to bypass that. And even if you're looking at it and saying, well, a draft pick, a third-round pick, all, uh, no, has like a, what, 20% chance of even playing in the NHL or whatever, perhaps even less, and then is years away, even if that is the case. Yeah. But it's still an asset you can use in other ways. It's an asset you can use in other ways, and it is uh, salary cap space you are not tying up into next year. Now, you're not getting Luke Shen at 850k per yeah. season again. I don't know what the number is. Is it one and a half? Does it get to more than $2 million? Uh, you know, the right shot D free agent market tends to be a wild, wild place. Yeah. So as much as I don't think Luke Shen would be very expensive, even on the open market, you know, I've, I've underestimated what right shot defensemen could get on the open market in the past and been burned. Uh, we know it's, it's funny. Not many players have had their stock rise for the Canucks this season. Yeah. Obviously, Bo mm-hmm. cashed in. But one of the few guys, in addition to Bo, is Luke Shen. Really? It, you know, and, and it's not like it would be a long-term deal, so teams might even be yeah. willing to go a little bit higher on the AAV because it's not that long of a term. But even just, again, always looking at unrestricted free agents to come, and we're talking about Nick Jensen, um, John Klingberg, who's mm-hmm. you know had a really tough year in, in Anaheim, and is anything has fallen down closer to like that four million dollar range for his next contract? So, you know, there's never going to be a lot of options out there. And the other added value for trading Luke Shen right now is he's a guy that's easy to trade to pretty much any team out there. Anyone can acquire him. Anyone can acquire him at an 850k average annual value. And even if they couldn't, Vancouver could conceivably retain salary on him too, <laughs> right? Like, wow, you guys are that poor? <laughs> you don't even have 850? Listen, I, I got I got $125,000 in cap space, all right? What can you do to help me out? Work with me here. What, you want me to take back $2 million so you can take on Luke Shen? What's happening? <laughs> yes, any team can trade for Luke Shen, right? Yes. I mean, that, that's how small the contract is. That's why I just don't see a world where the Canucks don't have the option to get something meaningful for him at the low end of third round pick. And what's to say somebody doesn't give you the equivalent to a, a late second? Yeah, potentially. Now, it is a buyer's market like everybody's talked about. But at the same time, right-hand defensemen are the most rare commodity in the, in the NHL. And we talked about this. Jacob Megna went for a fourth round pick. Yeah. And, hey, Megna's actually played well mm-hmm. alongside Eric Carlson this year. And he is physical. He is big. And he skates fairly well for his size. Like, he's got, you know, he, you, can, you can say he's a younger version of Luke Shen. Mm-hmm. You can say that. Now, hasn't played as much, obviously. But let's not forget, Luke Shen had to resuscitate his career in the AHL before coming back. So it's not like, you know, it was this clean path. And he's got this long-established career of making millions. And like you said... The question is, how much is he, is he ultimately going to get paid in free agency? I still want, think it's in the one million range, maybe two, but maybe Magna's view does the same light. Yeah. So, what is the price for Luke Shen? I still say it's more than Jacob Magna, so that's why I say it's a third round pick. But would you actually get the equivalent of a second? It's it is possible. There was uh, speculation last year that he was, uh, you know, a, a second round pick could have been on the table for the Vancouver Canucks. They obviously chose not to take it. But it does sort of speak to, like, what does this team want or expect to be next year mm-hmm. as well, Sat, right? And yeah. 
the idea of finding a Luke Shen replacement, like we've just been talking about, I mean, it's it's not an easy one. It's probably one of those situations where you uh, put a blindfold on and you grab three darts and you're just like, okay, we'll take shots at these three guys and hope one of them hits just like they did with Luke Shen a few years ago. Yeah, it all depends, you know, how he's viewed by other teams, Mm -hmm. you know, and how much money he's looking at here, right? Like if Vancouver is... I I wouldn't be surprised like two by four, you know? I guess, but he's 33. Two million per? Uh, I mean, I guess... I just wonder. Eric yeah, Goodbranson got four million. That's true. It is true. But Goodbranson is also younger. Yeah, but <laughs> like thirty-three-year-old defenseman. All, all Eric Goodbranson had deal. to do was like show well in third-pairing minutes in Calgary. You know, he got roasted in the playoffs, and that that rebuilt his value in and of itself. Right? At least Luke Shen, you could make the argument like. He's played top four minutes for Vancouver. Yeah, I mean, hey, hey, if, you know, I know people are texting in and, you know, speaking of Drance and, and Jamie Dodd from Canucks yeah. Talk, that they, you know, have a bet on $2.95 million per year for Okay, I'm, take, I'm taking the under. That uh, seems minor, very Matt high. Minor, Matt, and and somebody else unsigned set that in. Over 2.95 for Drance, under 2.95 for Jamie Dodd. Man, and, those guys are, they're operating on, like, 10% inflation. <laughs> what, what is happening? 2.95 you know getting Shen? I'm getting more and more sticker shock every day, like even the Bull Horvath <laughs> thing. So maybe I'm the one who's wrong here. Maybe I am underestimating, uh, you know, the cost of yes. re-signing these players. But if there is a world, if, if we've entered a world where keeping Luke Shen's going to cost you more than $2 million, there's no way the Canucks keep them yeah i just don't see it they barely have cap space as it is and give him two million to stay when you can get something back in return this year i don't see it if the canucks sign him it would have to be a a, a very team friendly number right like hey would he take two years at a million per year a million and a half per year okay maybe yeah i don't know if he does like if we're talking about him getting three million on the market which i very much am skeptical of i think it's under i would bet on it being the under but if we're talking about above two million regardless then, then, then forget about it. Like even all this to talk about keeping him, I just don't yeah. see it. Um, it. It would make less than zero sense for the Canucks to do that. It, for me, the only priority for the Vancouver Canucks at this trade deadline, outside of opening up cap space for next year, should be getting as many picks in the top 100 of this upcoming draft as they possibly can. Absolutely. I mean, even if you're looking to turn things around, yeah. yes, you'll take future high picks for sure. But if you can up your draft picks for this year, that's the key. Yeah. Like this year is a pivotal year for your future, especially if you're trying to take advantage of Pedersen and Hughes and windows of, you know, the next four to five years or six years. It becomes critical that you get a few players out of this draft. And we're not just talking about one or two. We're talking, can you get three or four players out of this draft? Yeah. Can you get enough picks where that's a possibility? You have two first rounders, first rounders potentially. If both those guys become something, okay, now you're halfway there. Can you get enough picks where you can, you can turn two other players into something? That's... Um... When Luke Shen is right now, I think their only other clear option of adding a top, let's say, 90 draft pick in this upcoming draft, yes. it, it almost makes it a foregone conclusion that you should trade this player. I mean, I, I again, I, at this point, I'd still be worried. I mean, I'd be surprised. That's why I think this is all smokescreen season. 
You know, give us a second round pick and uh, you could make this trade today. Boston, Calgary, come on down. The yeah. price is right. You know, <laughs> give us that second rounder and, and, and it could be done today. That's what this is. For me, that's what this is all about. Opinion, opinion wise, for sure. But it, it just it doesn't make sense uh, for the Canucks to do this beyond this year. So what the Canucks did something with uh, Tyler Mott last year mm-hmm. where they did circle back last minute and be like, hey. These are kind of our parameters we're looking at. Are you game or not? And he said no. Now, we saw Mott had trouble signing a contract. It ended and up being maybe the best offer he uh, he got on the open market. I don't know exactly what it was. I do do know it was under, like, as far as I know, and, and, and I can't even sit here and say that it was, you know, a firm offer, but discussions that w- whatever the Canucks were at was under $2 million, Yeah. Which I think was Mott was really hoping to get more than $2 million. But I think if it was, let, let's say for argument's sake, it was a three-year deal at $1.5 million. That's still, you know, four and a half million guaranteed that you didn't get this year. So, I mean, that's something. That, but so, I mean, they made him an offer. My point being, or they had discussions about a contract, and it was a very team-friendly number. Yeah. Mott said no. The trade happened. So, they may have a desire to keep Shen. And maybe they get close to something and say, all right, Luke, here is our number. What do you say? And it could be so low that, like Mott, he just says no, no matter what. Like, could that could that be a world? I mean, that may exist, that possibility that they feel like... Hey, the offers aren't great. They're okay. Um, if he signs for this number, let's say a million or a million and a half for two years, that's a bargain. Let's do it. But if he has no interest in doing that, Luke Shen, then what are we talking about here? Does any does it make sense for the Canucks to, to sign him to a contract north of two million with term on it for thirty three year old defenseman when you barely have six million in cap space next season? Yeah, you, to me, it does. It does not. But. To to think about that's a win now play like you, that's like hey we need a we need a third pair rock solid defenseman yeah and we'll 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 pay a number here for Luke Shen to help us go, get over the top because ultimately it, it, you're still sort of projecting Luke Shen to be in your top four next year <laughs> yeah but that's not a that's not a good place to be exactly but it, even, it, it sort of still speaks to how far you need to go to upgrade this defense and you can't do that if you just keep bringing the same guys back you've got to make some changes even if you end up trading Tyler Myers next year and Luke Shen it's like okay well now all we have is Ethan Bear on the right side well fine (laughs) you know figure it out sign some other guys I think Luke Shen what he's shown this year that over a spell he can give you top four minutes yeah he can but -hmm. if you ask him to do that for the course of a season and the postseason it's just not going to happen so and you've seen his play really drop off like he's still bringing the physicality the details are there but you see him get turned around you see him get caught yeah you've seen some more mistakes in his game with more minutes that he's played and he's not quite as adept when he's not with Quinn and even him and Quinn haven't quite had the success as we've seen those guys get away from being a pair more recently as well so for being honest and as much as I love Luke Shen we've been talking about him endlessly this year and giving him credit and, and talking about how valuable he is he's not a guy who's a solution for you the next three years in your top four no as a third pair guy sure but that's what you have to have in mind for him. And if you start like committing to a guy like that long term on actual money, then you're really just kind of going sideways here. Yeah, and I, I still don't think Luke gets more than two years term, but uh, it, it does feel like it's trending to be in the two million dollar range, and that's uh, too rich uh, right now. You know, to the, the the two teams that keep popping up as potential destinations are Boston and Calgary Mm -hmm. for Luke Shen, a friend of the show, Nick Alberga, tweeting out that uh, he feels Boston and Calgary would be the favorites right now. Um, But again, 
any contending team can take on Luke Shen. Yes. And every contending team loves to add depth defensemen going into a playoff run where they think they'll go deep. Yeah. Whether he's playing in a third pair or even as a seventh defenseman, every contending team would like to add Luke Shen uh, if they could. And unlike the Bo Horvat situation where actually if you get the deadline day, his value would probably go down. Because then there will be real desperation for Vancouver to have to make a deal here. Yeah. And you're backed up against the wall, really. And that's where maybe you don't get those golfers. And you have to settle for something. Whereas for Luke Shen, the longer you wait, as much as you want to get the resolution, you probably up the value. Because, yeah. again, everybody can trade for him. Teams are going to miss out. There aren't that many right-hand defensemen. And if you wait long enough, he's going to be the only guy available that's going to be good or any decent. And... Then it's like, hey, do you want to go into the playoffs with somebody yeah. or not? <laughs> but because we we spoken about yeah. the Luke Shen thing, and I think to your point, I think that you know bringing it back full circle here, and I think I think you nailed it early on. A lot of this is you make your best offers now, yeah, because we like to get it done now. We know what it's going to get to eventually, so let's not beat around the bush. Do it now, otherwise, this is that dance that everybody's playing, like. Yeah, we we want Luke Shen, but we want to pay like this for him right now, yeah. and we're we're trying not to like you know, force uh, force our own hand. Let's try and force theirs. Yeah. to get something done. Um, and and Canucks want to do right by the player. You know, I think that's uh, apparent apparent here as well with Luke Shen and his current situation with a uh, pregnant spouse. So. Uh, it, it is a tricky situation that the Canucks find themselves in a little bit, but I think we all know where this is trending or where it should trend uh, with Luke Shen as a deadline asset for the Vancouver Canucks. Otherwise, you know, there's continued speculation elsewhere. Uh, ben Hankinson, Brock Bessers, and mm-hmm. Luke Shen's agent uh, did the hit today on on Donnie and Dolly, you know, he mentioned Minnesota and New Jersey as teams they've talked to. You don't often uh, sort of hear specific names uh, like that come from an agent, but uh, it, it sort of speaks to just how difficult a Brock Besser trade may end up being to make at any time. No, I mean, yes. And the other thing it also shows is if sides are talking about this like if, if an agent who's involved in this is also also talking about this in the media it means nothing is really close yeah because you don't risk anything going awry when things are close by discussing it publicly when when things are at a stage where they're close or you're getting close things are pretty quiet yeah at least from the team side and the player side you know you may or you may hear reports and stuff people talking about it but that they stay quiet and then boom, the deal happens because that's what they're working on. So usually when you hear sides talk openly like this, it means he's doing his job. Like, But mm-hmm. what Ben Hankinson is doing is he's doing his job. He's been granted permission, at least that's what we heard, to talk to other teams. He's, he's exploring it. He's trying to do right by his client. Mm-hmm. His client has come under a lot of trade talk recently and, and rumors. People are asking questions. And I think to calm his client and at, at the same time do his job, he's available to discuss these things. And I think he's being honest about what's going on. But I think it's also an indication that you know nothing's really close here on Brock Besser. Not that not something may not happen, but I don't think we're, we're on, on the verge like we were with Bo of a uh, Besser trade going down. Uh, we uh, are going to get Kevin Woodley into the conversation. His take on uh, the Canucks goaltenders right now and whether or not Colin Delia is starting to win the backup job as Thatcher Demko nears a return. That's up next on Canuck Central. It is Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. 
Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Kevin Woodley is uh, going to join us here in a few moments. Spencer Martin is getting uh, the chance in goal for the Canucks tonight against the New York Rangers. And uh, Colin Delia had another solid performance, um, if not spectacular. Well, it was solid. Uh, he made some big saves against the, uh, against the New Jersey Devils. That was very good. Yeah. Um, and Martin, you know, he's on a pretty tough run here, Sat. Yeah. And now we see Thatcher Demko getting back into the practice net. It's only a matter of time before Demko's ready to come back, and that leaves the Canucks with a decision to make on their third goalie. Yeah, it really does seem that way, doesn't it? Because the easy answer could just be, hey, you send Colin Delia down, because Spencer Martin is a guy that showed well last year, showed well early this season, and is a guy they've committed to this year and next season. Yeah. But has Colin Delia played well enough that they feel like maybe he gets claimed? Or, yeah. like, maybe this is a guy we want to keep working with. And that's why I can't wait to talk about this with Kevin Woodley about where these guys' games are at and, and which guy you may want to lean on or, or choose with when decision time is coming down. You know, maybe not so far down the road here. Uh, let's uh, bring in our next guest. He joins us every Wednesday. It's the Goalie Guru in Goal Magazine at NHL.com. It's Kevin Woodley. Uh, thanks for this as always, Woodley. Um, we're just sort of looking at the the decision the Canucks may have coming up here. You know, Colin Delia playing well is more in form right now than Spencer Martin has been. Martin getting the start against the Rangers tonight. But Thatcher Demko is eventually coming back here. Um, is there a uh, fight for the backup spot with the Vancouver Canucks right now? Yeah, I mean, you got to think this is a massive start for Spencer Martin. You don't know how many more of them you're going to get here. Um, you know, the things have gone the wrong way for him sort of since Demko went down. And I think it started with how much they asked him to play. And, you know, I heard a lot at the time from people who suggested that, um, you know, Delia should play more in the early going. What I think you have to recognize is the work that went in while Spencer was playing, you know, that first stretch of games between Ian Clark and Colin Delia to sort of build off the changes that had been started in the American Hockey League. And get them to be a more consistent part of his game. Um, you know, we all remember uh, sort of the first game after the injury with when Dealey was up and he came on in relief against Montreal and, you know, was, was spectacular statistically, but was also somewhat all over the map. And so the work that went into sort of controlling, putting more control in his game and, and, and getting him to sort of stick with the changes they made on a more consistent basis, like that was one of the reasons they had to ride Spencer Martin so hard. So, it's paid off for Delia um, at the expense of Martin in terms of having time to work on his game and some things that, you know, still need um, to be worked upon. And, you know, to the point where I think it's the decision is kind of obvious at this, at this stage, as much as I hate to say it, because mm-hmm. I think Spencer Martin did show he can be an NHL goaltender. And I believe in a better environment that he would get back to showing that more consistently, um, you know, especially as some of those changes become a little more innate and a little more continuous for him. But right now, you know, I do I think Colin Dealey would get claimed? Probably not. But it certainly seems a lot more likely than Spencer Martin getting claimed. So 
with that in mind, it seems like a pretty obvious decision mm-hmm. um, once Thatcher Demko is ready to go in terms of who stays and who goes. Now, could change again in a hurry? Does Delia play himself into a position where he's actually you know, desirable, even if it's just for a late-round pick, to move him as an asset? Um, you know, that that's possible too. Like he's, he's had moments here in stretches where he's been really good. His, his adjusted numbers is like plus 1%, sort of the fringe of top 20 in the National Hockey League right now with one of the lowest expected save percentages in the league. And, you know, maybe he is a guy that teams look at and say, hey, we like the changes in his game. Um, maybe he can be a, you know, uh, a, a security blanket for us in the playoffs. Um, you know, you look at teams that have, have gone three deep in the postseason the last couple of years, it's not as rare as you would think. And there might be a team that's willing to give up, like I said, certainly not a, a big asset, but mm-hmm. something to have Colin Delia added to their depth chart. Well, and, you know, it's it's fascinating how everything can change so quickly. Last year, we talked about how well Spencer Martin played. He signed that two-year deal and how shrewd of a bet it was. And, and it was. Like, it is a shrewd bet signing him to a two-year deal and seeing if he can, be, he, can, he can be the guy. And the thing that made him valuable, potentially, was being on a good contract this year and next year. Now, all of a sudden, being on a one-way, despite the fact it's under 800000 and, and it has one more year guaranteed actually makes him less desirable as in terms of a waiver pickup and even a late round trade, right? And that's how quickly the market can change on goalies, isn't it? Well, I mean, there's a lot of volatility when it comes to goaltending, and we've seen, you know, lots of examples of that. Like, like the other thing is, Dealey's numbers adjusted have come down since the start. Like, like the, you know, it's almost like, hey, the more you play behind this team, the tougher it gets. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, something Rick Tockett uh, talked about having predictability in their game. And I think for goaltenders, there hasn't been nearly enough of that in terms of being able to trust guys to be where they are. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that, um, you know, the success Martin had last year and, and even early this season, the more and more he played, the harder it was to maintain that. We saw it with Thatcher Demko early this season. His numbers were down where Martin's are now. Um, and Colin Delia, after a hot start, again, it becomes harder and harder to maintain that when you can't trust what's going on in front of you. But in terms of the contract, like, I, honestly, it's such a small ticket. And I said this at the time when they signed Delia, that it wasn't a guarantee that it like We, we all sort of believe that Spencer Martin mm-hmm. would have first dibs on the job. But because both of those tickets move so easily to the American Hockey League without costing you anything on mm-hmm. your cap, you know, they're, they're basically transferable parts. Yeah. The only risk is, you know, could you lose one on waivers? And like, like I said, the, the chances, I still think they're somewhat low, but they're certainly a lot higher for Colin Delia at this point and based on form than they would be for Spencer Martin. And again, even though you have Martin under contract next year, um, whether you believe he can, he can get back to the levels he showed early and late last season and be your backup option – or he's just a veteran in the American Hockey League, like it's not a bad option to have as long as you've got an owner willing to pay NHL rates in the American League mm-hmm. um, because he gives you depth. Well, and especially with uh, how they are invested with Abbotsford, it seems like, so maybe that does make some sense. I know he has some cover, but looking ahead to next season, and let's just assume for a moment Thatcher Demko is going to be the starting netminder too, and they don't have a succession plan put in place. Do they come back next year and we're looking at Delia and Martin, or... Based on what we've seen this year, do you have to also have another guy in the mix who has a more of a proven track record as a backup? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you're going to have to help me out here, Sat. Delia's deal is one year and into restricted or unrestricted. It would be unrestricted, He's right? He's going to UFA. That's correct. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. I mean, at the end of the day, um, it kind of depends on, on, on Colin 
and whether he has better options. Again, there may be other teams that look at what he did mm-hmm. here and see more upside than maybe they saw last summer. Um, Colin may see an opportunity to play with or behind Thatcher and believe he can beat out Spencer and want to come back on a reasonable ticket. At the end of the day, that's what free agency is for. And if, if you can't re-sign Delia, you go looking for the next one, right? Like we talked about the sort of skill set that Colin brought to this equation and how that fit what in Clark or could fit what in Clark likes from his goaltenders for the same reason amidst all the Demko talk and, and the natural line, lines drawn between, you know, if Demko moves, then Tristan Jari's from here and Jim Rutherford had him in Pittsburgh. And that's, that, that was a natural assumption as a, as an unrestricted agent, they might target should they move on from Demko. I didn't think that those attributes that Jari has necessarily fit the way Ian Clark teaches Collins did. And so if you, if you lose him, it's a matter of sort of finding another goalie that, that you see upside in based on those types of attributes. And, you know, I don't have a list in front of me now, but you know, at the end of the day, I, I think it's less of a concern based on where this team is next year. Um, you know, when, when the goal was to make the playoffs this season, your starts from your backup were going to be a key part of that. I don't think just given the way this this year has gone and given where this team is at, nobody's talking about them being a playoff team, team next year, right? Like we've, we've heard a lot about this is going to take longer. And so how much you stress about this, you know, maybe maybe not so much as you were this season when you felt you needed to have that third option in Delia. And at the end of the day, if Delia ends up being an asset that you deal or or move at this deadline, then you're starting to see again, the benefits of, of having good goalie coaching in place and turning reclamation projects into assets. Um, you know, as for Abbotsford, as much as neither guy wants to go there, they could use a guy right now, right? Like they just, they had just had to, they've been riding Silovs hard. They just had to bring in another goalie from the ECHL, um, who, by the way, made one of the greatest saves I've ever seen earlier this week with the Fort Wayne Comets. Uh, on a on a um, PTO because the Scorpion other guy they had in save? on a PTO and yeah. signed got hurt. Like it's it's just it's musical chairs down there right now. So having another guy down there to sort of stabilize and give Arthur Silov some nights off, um, as much as neither wants to be that guy, might not be a bad thing for the organization in the short term. So uh, we do have a few games now of uh, of Rick Tockett as as the head coach, and you know uh, a bigger emphasis on defense. Um, I, I thought even the other night against New Jersey, they actually outside of that fifty second stretch where they gave up the three goals, it, they seemed pretty good for the most part. It's it's still a very small sample, but are, are you noticing some adjustments uh, in the Canucks game under Rick Tockett? Well, not for those 50 seconds. I queued up the do-do-do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> um, so they still have that in them. Uh, listen, at the end of the day, this is way too small a sample to be making bold declarations on. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of that maybe, you know, actually, funny enough, management warned us about last season when they went on that run under Boudreaux. Like, you know, the reality of, of um, you know, and certainly not the case in New Jersey, but the reality of, down this stretch, you're probably going to face some teams that look past you. You're probably going to face some teams that give you their backup goaltender. Like there are a lot of things that could lead you to believe this team is playing better than they are. Um, I think when Jersey turned it up for that 50 second period, 
all the panic that we used to see in their game defensively came back. And then at 4-1, did Jersey let its foot off the gas? I just think it's too soon to see. Certainly we've heard from the coach an emphasis on those things. He's not afraid to call out those habits um, publicly and privately. Uh, So those are all positives. But we still see mistakes. Yes, they came back and made it 4-4. And yet on the PK in overtime, um, you know, again, and four on three is a lot more open ice. You know, JT Miller, you know, and I sent you guys a note on this and, and heard it come up on the post game. Like, like, you just can't, you, those are the habits we're talking about. Like, your stick is in the lane to take away the brat pass. And you get sucked in by Hughes sort of coming downhill, and you basically pull it out of the lane it needs to be in and into a lane that basically prevents nothing and also has two other Canucks sticks defender defenders also where have their sticks already in that lane. Like that's, those are the little details that aren't going to be solved overnight, but that need to change long-term when they talk about structure and habits for this team to have a chance. And it needs to be from the top players. And I, and it sucks that it's JT that gets singled out again in this moment, but it just was such mm-hmm. a glaring for all the positives of the comeback. It was such a glaring moment for me because you know, the first replay, you could just see it. And you could see that Hughes is waiting for that stick. I mean, hey, offensive players do this all the time, suck you into moving your stick to a different lane, and as soon as you do, they take advantage of the seam you opened up. But again, those are the habits that go into having a penalty kill that could end up being the worst in the history, well, history, 25 years since the NHL started actually recording it, but like historically bad penalty kill. Yeah. And so, yeah, some things are getting better, but more has to change. You like that the focus is on taking care of those details and correcting them. We are a long way. And probably not till the start of next season when teams actually come in a little more fired up and not looking past one of the worst teams in the NHL on a regular basis before you can say definitively that the impact is significant enough that changes are going to the changes in the habits like just materially how these players take care of those details are actually going to be lasting well the fact that we're talking about the most rudimentary basic principles of being successful as a team tell you how far away you are from being a good hockey team right because the things we're talking about them learning and doing better are things that should be established especially with a core that's been in place for the number of years they have been well and then and so this goes back to the big question do they have it in their DNA to change on a consistent basis? And I think much like the answer to the earlier one, it's probably too soon to tell. Like, I believe they want to make those changes when they, like they're not just paying lip service, but it's kind of like mm-hmm. JT on the opening day coming in talking about how much he wanted to be a 200 foot player. Like talk is cheap. Habits are created with work. The players that he sort of name checked and cited that day are guys that put a ton into being good defensively. It's just it's not it's not like some innate magical skill that just comes out of the ether for certain players. They work at it. And this team clearly has a lot to work at when it comes to taking care of their own end. And listen, the focus is now there. And now the question becomes are they willing to do the work? Who and I guess the the point would be more to the point who who's willing to do the work and who's willing to or who shows you that they can make these changes not just for one or two games or not just for 59 minutes of a 60-minute game and, and one minute of chaos. 
but really make this a fundamental part of how they play the game so that all these basics and non-negotiables um, that Rick Tockett talks about being on the right side of the puck and, and sticks in lanes and all those little deep blocking shots. Again, that's another big one. Are there enough guys on this team that actually have it in their DNA to become that player? Or will it just be a blip that disappears when we roll into a new calendar year or a new season next year? So uh, trade deadline, 23 days away. Uh, we, we've talked with you about Demko a lot last week here on the show. You talked about how um, you know it's, it's not necessarily – it's not the case that, that Demko wants out, as some of the rumor mill had been uh, talking about. So beyond Demko – um, you know, what else might be out there? Uh, there's talk about Antti Ranta out of Carolina because they've got Kachekov and obviously Freddie Anderson. Uh, James Reimer's an expiring goalie with the San Jose Sharks right now. And, and also, uh, as a second part to that, is there value in acquiring a goalie midseason and then being able to work him into your team for a playoff stretch run? Yeah, um, well, first off, on, on the Ranta one, we know that Carolina's, never hesitated to make sort of, you know, bold moves when it comes from walking from a guy, but I'd be a bit surprised. Yeah. I know Kachetkov is, is legit, but neither Ranta nor Anderson has shown the ability to stay healthy enough, long enough that I, you know, like there's a team that is primed to once again, possibly need three goalies in the postseason, right? Like that's just the reality. So, you know, as much as Kachetkov is, 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 has the potential. There's also a lot of, there's been a lot of up and down in his game, like moments of brilliance, but also like some WTF moments, uh, you know, when I watch him play. So I just don't see them necessarily moving and giving themselves even less of a cushion um, in a year where I think they hope to challenge for a Stanley cup. Reimer's a name that makes sense because he's done it before, right? Like he went, people forget he went from Toronto to San Jose at the deadline and as much as Martin Jones became the guy in the playoffs and Reimer never saw the net, in the regular season after making a trade, he was really good there. He posted some really good numbers that you know, month and a half or whatever it was that he was in San Jose. And not all goalies have shown an ability to do that. And this is, this is the big question. It kind of goes back to Ryan Miller being traded from Buffalo to St. Louis. Like there were a number of sort of reasons you could check off a checklist, so to speak, of what it takes or what some of the key factors are in whether a goalie can make that adjustment to a new team in short order. One is, have you done it before? Miller hadn't. Um, it was all new to him, and it was a big ask. James has done it before. So that's something I'd look at if I was considering a goalie trade. Two, style of play and whether it fits the way your team defends or what they ask out of their goaltenders. Miller was a pure rhythm guy when he was in Buffalo, and this changed over his career, but he admitted back in those early days, like he played a lot on timing and rhythm and feel. There were a lot of extra moving parts in his game back then. And he goes to St. Louis where they wanted him to be more of a, they didn't give up much off the rush. There was more end zone. They wanted him to be a spot-to-spot goalie and, you know, again, played away from his strengths at the time. So are you looking at the analytics do we give up a lot off the rush? And if so, is our, does our guy excel off the rush or vice versa? Um, as good as Roberto Luongo was throughout his career, he wasn't necessarily a dynamic skater. Put him in an end zone team and he would have been fine. Put him on a team that collapses in front of the net and doesn't let him to see the shots, a.k.a. John Tortorella's system here in Vancouver for the year, and it was a disaster. Like There are certain 
sort of checklist you can go through in terms of what a goalie is best at, and you better make sure that matches what your team gives up. Otherwise, there's no point. And then the third one is, do you have enough runway and are you going to play them? I liked the Marc-Andre Fleury deal for the Minnesota Wild, but it never made any sense to me mm-hmm. that they weren't going to give Fleury the bulk of the games down the stretch to adjust to the team in front of him. They went with a straight back-and-forth tandem with Talbot, and it worked, but then they abandoned it in the playoffs, and they threw Fleury in for every game until the final game, having not given him the runway to get comfortable. We heard it from Ryan Miller when he was here, um, and I keep sort of name-checking him because he's just one of the most honest and open guys when it comes to these discussions about what it was like and what the experience was like and what goes into it. Uh, I remember him talking about getting to learn the tendencies of a new defenseman and how that can take Woodley, uh, we're going to have to cut you off. we got a hard out with the game coming up, but uh, appreciate well, you. Know, you me talking too much. Yeah. <laughs> That's great stuff, man. Appreciate it as always. That's Kevin Woodley. Canucks and Rangers next on Sportsnet 650.